Reese is 12, Eli is 13. What's your excuse? I'm not joking. What's your excuse? Why you can't get up in front of people, why you can't do this, you can't do that. And then they get, not only that, but the coming talent show at the middle school, they're going to do that, or did it. They did it this week. They did it last year. They stood, it's loud, they stood in their school where they're not standing amongst fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in all and with great courage saying that. What a testimony to us. I always heard growing oh, the youth is the next generation. They're our future. I'm going to tell you, I'm thank God we've got young people like that that's our church today. I thank God for their leaders. They've brought them up, uh, teaching them and, and nurturing them in the Word. To be able to sing, and the thing is, I know these, these children, they, they didn't just sing how great is our God. They know how great He is. And I've seen their testimony. Thank y'all. Thank you for your faithfulness. And thank you for doing such a great job. So we praise the Lord in that. Mark chapter 8. Matt guessed it correct. I'm in Mark today. Uh, and I don't know, and this is not a slide in all. We talked about this morning of how the song they were singing would match up, and that's what Matt was talking about a while ago. But now look what the scripture is about to tell us. Have you ever had someone that just insisted on giving you their opinion? And they're always right, especially in today's society. Everybody's right and everybody's wrong. And I've been to the point where I've told them, listen, if I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Thank you, y'all got that. But there's been times in my life to where people who were my subordinates were able to share a word with me that helped me grow, that taught me. People who worked for me. There's one time, well, a lot of times, but during one period in my life where I was an inmate supervisor, I did skilled labor, and I would, I would go in, and when prisoners would come into the work camp, they had to fill out a form, their intake form, and tell us what they did outside the jail. And I would take guys that would write down I was a carpenter, I worked in construction, I did skilled stuff, I did trim and paint and sheetrock, and I would take those skilled guys and go out and do work with them. And one of the first jobs that I did for the county like that was a humongous courtroom. Well, it was all of Superior Court, but especially the Chief Superior Court of Cobb County. And if any of you remember... There was a nationwide trial that became very famous in Cobb County uh, for a man by the name of Tokars. And Tokars was a Fulton County judge, but he had his wife murdered in Cobb County. And 
he stood trial there in the courtroom we built. Fancy, I mean, when you hear judges panel, this whole courtroom was oak panels and we did all this other kind of really, I mean, it, it was the jewel of Cobb County construction. And it was all over the national news and I, I would say, look, Becky, there's the courtroom I built. But a lot of times I failed to say, I learned a lot from the inmates that I took on that job. They would show me shortcuts. They would show me other things. They were, in some ways, my servants. They, they had to call me sir. They call, I, I mean, I would work guys that were in their 60s. They'd say, Mr. Brady this and Mr. Brady that and boss and all these other things. But I learned tremendously when I let my pride and arrogance get out of the way and realize, hey, these are, these are really good guys if, when they're sober. You know, and they can really teach me a lot. Today I want us to look at the servant's instruction. And, and I say all that not to say that Jesus is less and that he's subordinate to us. And, and I want you to see in this title, it's not a servant's instruction, but the servant's instruction. The servant of God, Jesus Christ, who made himself lower than the angels, the Bible speaks of, who humbled himself, taking on the robe of flesh to come into this world. Truly, how great is our God who could do all of that. I started mentioning last week that here in chapter 8, we find ourselves right in the middle of the shift in his ministry. We will see less and less of the Galilee and, and it will dry up. You know, we've been hearing wonderful, upbeat stories, haven't we, where Jesus fed 5,000, he fed 4,000, and he, he, he just, in this chapter, and we're not going to cover it, but he heals, heals a blind man. He's raised a little girl uh, from the dead. He's, he's healed a, a, a woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years. I mean, he's done some phenomenal things, but... A lot of that season of miracles are, are going to slow down as he heads toward Jerusalem. I read through the Gospel of John this week for my yearly Bible reading. And as I read, it, it was so startling to me because if you read four or five chapters in one day, it was like, boom, I'm standing on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and then in about 35 minutes later, I'm in the Garden of Gethsemane with him. And, and it happens, it seems like, that fast. Life can be like that, can it? So we see Jesus moving his base of ministry out of Galilee and will instead slowly begin making his way to Jerusalem where his earthly life and earthly ministry will soon come to an end. Upon that old rugged cross. In verse 31. Initiates Christ's preparatory remarks to his disciples. About what was coming. As Christ uses the occasion. To solidify some very vital information. In the hearts of these men right here. And so today are we teachable? Can we hear what God wants to tell us from his word today? Not. Anything that I do in a, in a way, but simply speaking, thus saith the Lord. 
So I want you to read with me in chapter 8, beginning in verse 27. And Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Who do men say that I am? And unlike the average Sunday school class, they answered him. And they answered, John the Baptist. But some say, Elias and others, one of the prophets. Then Jesus turns his attention and he says unto them, But whom say you that I am? Peter answered and said unto him, You are the Christ. First of all today, as we look at the servant's instruction, I want us to look at who is Jesus. He teaches them who is Jesus. You remember last week how he answered them with a question and and, and he uses uh, rhetoric many times with the Pharisees, but also with the disciples. And so he doesn't come and begin to lay out this 12-step process of the four major doctrines. He he doesn't sit them down and say, listen, today we're going to study the doctrine of soteriology and the coming doctrine of eschatology and ecclesiology. He doesn't do that. He begins by saying, hey, what's the world, who's the world say that I am? Now I want you to think right now, just to yourself, who do people say that Jesus is? Who do they say he is? Well, popular opinion in this day said, well, John the Baptist. You know, even Herod thought, this has got to be John the Baptist. I've cut his head off. Has anything ever really haunted you from your past? Well, listen, as a believer, put it under the blood. But it wasn't under the blood with Herod. He had taken the life of uh, of the last Old Testament prophet And it haunted him until the day he died. And so when Jesus really comes on the scene, he was absolutely convinced John the Baptist came back to haunt him. And so every day he got up thinking, "It's, it's John the Baptist, it's John the Baptist. And so the world began to hear this, starting with Herod. And so many, even those of the Jews, began to believe that he was a preacher to prepare them. Do we have anyone in the world that would kind of look at that today the same way? We do. We have different cults who say, Jesus, it was a great man. Notice the word was. He was a great prophet. Jesus was a great teacher. And that we can really learn morals from God, from, from, not from God's word, morals from the Bible. We can really learn how to live and give us some parameters on ethics and morality by studying the principles taught by Jesus. They believe that Jesus was real, but the popular conventional wisdom of the day said he's just a preacher to prepare them. 
Jesus was saying, what is the world saying? We've got to see this. If we're going to understand Jesus as who he really is, then we've got to be ready to answer every man that asketh the hope that is within us. Because the world just assumes, as they are bought into a lie, that, that hey, we're Christian too, we believe in Jesus. But they don't believe in Jesus like we do. Okay? They do not believe that he is in equality with the Father and with the Spirit, that there is a triunity of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They do not see that Godhead bodily through the person of Jesus Christ. There's one very prominent cult in America that literally believes that Jesus and Lucifer are brothers, and that Jesus is the good brother and Lucifer the bad brother. And you're saying, well, who is that? Google it. I taught it on Wednesday nights. Come on Wednesday night and you get good stuff like that. There are those who teach he was a great prophet, but he's not God. Therefore, we want to disclude even the beginning, the, the thought of his name in the name of our religion. Even Muslims believe in Jesus, folks. They just believe he was a prophet. They believe he was a great man, but that he was not God. It, they, they said, hey, it's Elijah with power. You remember Elijah? Elijah is my, my favorite Old Testament figure besides Caleb. I love Elijah. I love the, the power and presence. I love that he was transparent. I love the fact that we see his flaws. We see him broke down. We see his depression. We see his despondency. But we also see God do a great work in his life and do great miracles. They said, oh, he's a person to be feared. Do you know a lot of people approach Jesus from the side of they were afraid of him? Does that sound familiar today? You know why a lot of these chairs are empty? They're afraid of Jesus. They're afraid that if they come to church, Jesus may somehow change their way of thinking, their way of living, and they'll have to give up something that they really cherish. And all that's true. Except for the actual essence of what you've got to give up to be a follower of Christ. And that's sin, and all sin's going to do is kill you. Listen, they thought he was a preacher to prepare them, a, a person to be feared. Oh, listen, is Jesus someone that we ought to be fearful of? One who came and loved us so much that he gave his life for us. Now, as our intercessor, he is one that can be cherished, but he is one to be feared but with a reverential fear. A prophet to be revered. They said, oh, he's, he's one of the prophets. We, we can't nail it down. This was popular opinion. Church, we must be doctrinally correct. Do not let people sell you a bill of goods to believe that if we are just spirit-filled, God-loving people, we can be ignorant and not study the Word of God. We ought to have our noses in this book. We ought to be on our knees praying, God, reveal yourself to me. Show me the fullness of who you are. You can read it, but God has to quicken it in our spirit. And the popular opinion does not match 
oftentimes with the truth. Listen, in Matthew 16, verse 17, we have the same, same situation going on, same time. Matthew just being a little more wordy. Mark is a very condensed gospel. Matthew goes on with much more narratives and parables. He said in verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood. And this is when, when Simon Peter says, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, Bless you, my son, for saying that. He said, For flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Can I tell you something? The most freeing thing in pastoral life, in being a father and being a husband, being a friend and family member, is coming to the point where you realize the difference between burden and worry, and you realize you're not the Holy Spirit, and that God can do a better job on your friends and family than you can. He said, Peter, you're not saying that just because a bunch of other people, but because my God has revealed who I am to you. Who is God to you? Is, God, is Jesus to you what all your Sunday, the whole of what all your Sunday school teachers have taught you? Is, is Jesus what you have read in some devotional book? Or have you read the scripture and God the Spirit convinced you of who he is? First of all, in that day, we see this divine revelation in the fact that they saw he was not a political savior. They wanted him though, didn't they? What did they want out of Jesus? What did the, what did the Hebrew children want out of, out of Jesus? And they were depressed and despondent and wanted to kill him after they found out he wasn't going to do it. They wanted someone to restore Israel's autonomy. That they would become a power again. A couple of friends of mine are in it, were in Israel last week. And I saw a picture that they posted where they were standing beside with their hand above the cornerstone. And, and the, the limestone or marble sign on the side of this building implanted in the wall. And you know what it said? It was in Jerusalem. Can you guess what it was? It was the U.S. Embassy, not in Tel Aviv, in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. And listen, even though I, I, I was all for that and I still believe in that, America is not the superpower of all eternity, and Israel isn't. They want it out from under Rome. They want it out from under all this. Israel wants out from under the bondage of the Arab nations. And the Arabs want out from under the bondage of the Israel, Israelites of Palestine. And they want, and America is afraid of Russia. And Russia is afraid of America and all the other things. But listen, Jesus didn't come to be a political savior. He's not just here to take out of our pocket just to rescue us from the political pressures of this world and that we can use him as a bargaining chip or a arguing chip to prove our point. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning of how we spoof text. We take and we try to make the Bible say what we want it to say. Yeah, but the Bible says this, the Bible says that. Listen, Jesus is revealed divinely to us that he's more than just a political savior. He's not here 
just to save the nation America. He's here to save Americans. He's not, he's not exist, he, he didn't exist. He doesn't sit at the right hand of the Father making intercession just to save the continent of Africa, but to save the people of the continent of Africa. He's not a political savior. He's not a private savior. They thought, well, you know, restoring the lost tribes, bringing the the 12 back into unison together. Oh, he's going, he's going to reunite the kingdom. Thinking it was just for the Jews. I'm going to tell you something, church. Whether it is the Jews against the Gentiles, or whether it's Americans against other nations, or whether it's the blacks against the whites or the whites against the blacks or this one against that one or that one against the other one, we all are sinners in the eyes of God apart from Jesus. Y'all with me on that? He's not a private savior. He's not the savior of the white people. He's not the savior of the black people. We want to make him white Jesus or black Jesus or we want to make him this Jesus and that Jesus and then cults such as Santeria and voodoo and other things are born out of this private Savior. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus come and died on a cross for all eternity for all mankind. He is not a private Savior. He is the personal Savior. Look again with me. He said, here in Mark chapter 8, and they answered, when they asked John the Baptist, Elijah, and the other prophets, and he said, no, you, you're, you're the Christ, Jesus. Peter said, you are, you are, you're it, you're him. When's the last time we got on our face and said, you are Jesus, you are my Savior. You are the Savior. Listen, not only personal Savior, He's the only Savior. Can I go one step further? He is the only Savior. It's not being healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's not being smarter, smarter. It's not being wealthier. It's not being slicker. It's not being more conniving. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Now notice, he's te- he tells us who Jesus is. But now I want you to notice, why Jesus? Why? Why Jesus? He tells us in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, now this is where he really starts changing gears into the latter part of his ministry. He teaches them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. If they had any doubt that He was who He says He was, if they had any inclination to still hope, yeah, but He could still get us out from the, under the Romans. If, if they had any inclination to think, well, yes, He is the Savior to the Gentiles, but He's going to help us Jews because we're the chosen ones. You know, wink, wink, nod, nod. He just blows them completely out of the water with these verses. And He spake that saying openly, and Peter took Him 
and began to rebuke him. The one who just told him, thou art the Christ. You ever had a great Sunday? I mean, spirit-filled, hear music like we heard this morning, uh, praise and worship and the specials and the sermon was okay. And man, you just you got on fire for God. And on Monday, you acted like you'd never heard of Jesus in your life. Guilty. Peter says, you are the Christ. You're not John the Baptist. You're not Elijah. You're not even just one of the prophets. You are the Messiah. But Jesus, you can't talk like that. I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of saying, Jesus, you don't understand. We don't do things like that. You don't understand who my family is now. Where you been? You don't understand our church function, God. We, I don't think that they would really take to that. And he rebuked him. But when he had turned about and looked on his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Say, listen, this is strong. He rebuked Peter, but notice what he calls him. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savoreth not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. He's speaking to Satan's spirit that's overwhelming Peter at the time. You see, in the sovereign servant. Why Jesus? Because of the person of who he is. He is the son of man. If you go all the way back to Daniel and, and through Ezekiel and, and all through that, we see this servanthood. We see the son of man uh, is a heavenly figure of authority and power. The uniter of heaven and earth. And as such, he must give his life a ransom. The person is the son of man. The son of the living God. Son of man. Who came to the earth. 100% God, 100% man. The hypostatic union. And he came in through the kenosis of emptying himself on the cross. He took on our sin. A man who knew no sin and died. The only man to ever die that didn't deserve it. The only one. Boy, I was a good, she was a good woman. Man, there's a lot of really good women. They can cook a lot of good food and they took care of their family. A lot of, they said, I've got a Proverbs 31 woman. I've got this. I've got, I've got a hardworking, God-loving man. And that's true. But may I say there's none of them. None. That matches up to the Son of Man. Jesus is the only man born of a woman who knew no sin in the way of a virgin birth. Listen, not only the person, but the principle. He said, and I must suffer many things. I must suffer many things. Jesus takes us beyond merely the view of the servant of God. Listen, you can serve and be happy. You remember, there's servants throughout the Old Testament that served the king, and they did so even though they had servant in front of their name. They lived in almost a king's ransom. They sat at the king's table. They lived in the king's houses. They didn't have to pay anything. They got to just serve and, and be happy. But the principle here is that we would have a suffering servant who is Christ the Lord. 
And there's no clearer picture than Isaiah 53. Bruised, beaten, and by his stripes we are healed. Why Jesus? Because it's the only way. He's the only son of man that died for man's sin. He's the only one uh, that can suffer these things yet overcome in the power of his perfection. But notice the procedure. It said the son of man must suffer many things and be killed. Jesus had known all alone. You remember when he blew the rabbi's minds at the age of 12 years old? I would tell you, Eli, 13 years old, that's very impressive. Reese, it was very impressive how y'all did a medley of songs. You didn't just sing one song, you put it together, changing chords, changing speed. I mean, it was impressive. Wasn't it impressive? But Jesus, at, the tw- at 12 years old, was blowing the greatest Old Testament thinkers' minds. It's God in the flesh. And they're like, who is this? You know, Mary and Joseph wanted to come back and say, what in the world are you doing? Jesus said, I'm, I'm doing what the Father wants me to do. Mary wanted Jesus to do a trick at Canaan. Hey, Jesus, do that trick. Do that trick. He said, woman, my time's not yet come. My Father's time. My Father's way. And when he told Peter, he said, I must needs suffer many things, and be killed. He rebuked him. We don't like the suffering side of Christianity. But Jesus paid it all. You hear me, church? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, yet he has washed it white as snow. And the only way is that the Lamb of God, being the Son of God, went to the cross and shed his blood for you and me and be killed. Last night I finished the Gospel of John. And I'll be honest with you, it just, and you read the last couple chapters of any of the Gospels, and there's a part there, if you're saved at all, you still get a pit, you get a knot in the pit of your stomach when you know what's about to happen. I mean, I've been hearing this. I, I trusted Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. He forgave me of my sins and saved me at, at just shy of eight years old. But it never gets old. And it never seems impactful that when I read that he's in the garden and his sweat becomes his great drops of blood and that they beat him. And one, it says one man just open-handed slaps him across the face. The Son of Man. The one who had come to die for the one who slapped him. I'm taken back when Peter whips out his his little sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest and Jesus puts it back on. He's fixing to go to the cross and he's healing somebody. And then we start getting into those seven sayings and I hear him say, I thirst. Father, forgive them. It is finished. And last night, the one that really grabbed me, really impacted me, Said that there were three crosses, am I right? Y'all help me. Was there two crosses? Four crosses? How many crosses were there? Three. And 
Who were on the other two crosses? Criminals. And did they deserve to be on the cross? Did Jesus deserve to be on the cross? But it says out of the three, there was criminals on the other two. And which cross was Jesus on? The middle one. Said, And he had one on his left and one on his right. I can't help but believe the one he trusted was on the right. Because throughout scripture and modern politics, right's right and left's wrong. Don't beat me up with that. It is in scripture. Now, I'm not going to apologize for that. He tells us that in Proverbs. Where is Jesus seated? Seated by the Father? Right side. Okay. So whether it is or not, here's what blows my mind. And I don't have an answer. Can I just tell you, this is my biblical wandering for the week. Jesus is in the middle. We just established that. Criminals on both sides. One of them, whichever side, says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you will be with me in paradise, right? And it says, and as the day went on, and it, 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 it got close to that time where they couldn't be still on the cross with Passover and stuff. They came around to do what? Break their legs. Now, if it was not bad enough that you're already nailed to a tree and you're dying of a slow, painful asphyxiation, they said, well, we've got to hurry it up. We'll just come by with a big, heavy stick and break their legs so that they collapse and they'll die. The Old Testament prophesied and said not a bone would be broken in Jesus. Am I right? It says that they were out there rolling the dice for his garment that had no seam in it. It was all woven out of one, one thread. But here's the thing. They came to the first criminal. He was still alive and they broke his legs. They came to the next criminal he was still alive. They broke his legs. But then they came to Jesus. How do you get to the middle? They skipped. How, were they coming? I don't understand. I don't know. If you got an answer for that? Tell me later on. I'd love to hear it. But one thing I know is the scripture was true for when they got to Jesus, he had gave up the ghost. And he had died just like he had said to all the prophets. But here he tells them, he said, I've got to be killed. I've got to die. But here's the prophecy. Why Jesus? Because after three days, he said right here, I will rise again. Does that do anything for you? That makes me want to have Easter service right now. Because every day for a believer is Easter. We worship a risen Savior who is Christ the Lord. Up from the grave, he arose. We saw it on the song, on the, on the PowerPoint this morning, where that stone was rolled away, and that is rolled away for our life, that we are not in the bondage of death and sin, but the sting has gone away. For Jesus conquered it all. The prophecy, why Jesus? Well, we look back and know that he fulfilled it. But then I want you to notice with me what happens when the enemy speaks. What happens when the enemy speaks? And so Peter rebuked him. He rebuked him. 
You see, the response of, of the devil, of Satan, is to divert our attention and to distract our purpose. He won't say, yeah, but what if people think that, that you, you're not cool? You may lose your job if you stand up for Jesus. You know, you may not get to start in the game. You may not make as much money if you stand up for Jesus. Are you depending on the world or Jesus? Satan tries to divert attention. Peter says, oh no, 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 no. And, he, and listen, let's be honest. I believe Peter thought in his mind, his earthly mind, I can't let you die, you're Jesus. A lot of us have right motives, but we're not following real truth. You hear what I'm saying? There's a lot of really, really good motives for people, but it's the wrong thing. The ends does not justify the means. For Christians make the decisions because they're right, not because of the outcome. Listen, if God says do it right, whether it all falls apart and we die or not, we do it because the Lord said do it. That's it. But Satan wants to divert our attention. Young people, he wants to divert your attention. He wants to get you busy looking at all the world stuff, listening to all the world stuff, being cool, being popular, being in. And it's not about being in all the crowd, but in your one little circle. Listen, are you going to lead that circle or are you just going to run around in it and be what everybody else wants you to be? It, it distracts our purpose. What on earth are you here for? You're... 58 years old, you're 29 years old, you're 77 years old. Do you know the purpose in your life? God has a purpose for you. Are you distracted from it? You've, you've convinced yourself for years, well, if I'll just be a good husband, well, that's good. Well, I can be a good wife, yeah. I can give my kids everything they need, everything. Listen, but what is your fulfillment of purpose in Christ? Be a godly father, not just be a father who provides. But it's outside that. God's called us to the Great Commission, has he not? He's called us to reach our world, not only evangelistically, but just disciple. And can I say, you can be ordained, you can be a teacher, you may have served for 50 years, but if you've never led anybody to Christ, you're not a disciple maker. And you're not a disciple because one who is a disciple makes disciples. That's God's word. That's not my word. If you truly believe in Jesus, like you said, you'll tell somebody. Because you'll realize those who are lost that don't believe in Jesus is say, headed to the same hell you were. And the reason why you are saved, you saw the reality of hell and the hope of Christ and you trusted Him. And so either you're not really the believer you say you are, or you're a believer who says, I don't care if they die and go to hell. Are we distracted from our purpose? In 2019, Eastside, we've become distracted so many times by busy things, and so we didn't do anything. Or we wasn't doing anything when we should have been doing something. Let it not be said about us that 2019 is a year of distraction, but that we'd be focused clearly on God's call in our lives. God's purpose. The rebuke of Satan, well, it was both personal and powerful. He called him out, said what needed to be done, 
and he rebuked this whole thing of Peter's idea that Satan had placed in him, knowing that his head would soon be bruised in the greatest rebuke of sin and Satan. He was putting Satan under his foot. Can I tell you something, church? Satan is a defeated foe that's just trying to make as much noise as he can before his complete and utter demise. Do you hear what I just said? That's good news, isn't it? Huh? All the fighting and fussing and, and, and all the bad news that we avoid and all the bad stuff in bad countries, one day it's all going to come to an end. We sang about that blessed hope this morning. You know what the blessed hope is? The appearing of our great God and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in Titus. Look it up. But finally, I want us to see the fact that when we listen to the servant's instructions, we'll understand who Jesus is. We'll understand why this Jesus. We'll see and understand, and we will be able to tell if it's Jesus talking to us or the enemy. And it will provoke us to following him. Look in verse 34. Verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. No, but that's hard. That is so hard. I, you know, I like myself. I'm a legend in my own mind. Really. Man, last, yesterday, Becky and Emily went to Statesburg, do some running around, shopping stuff, get ready for them going back to school, and Ethan was packing and washing clothes and stuff, and she cooked this big old pork roast for New Year's, and Man, it was good. And it was just as good yesterday when I warmed it up as when she cooked it the other day. I was by myself, and I just got that stuff out, and I warmed it all up. Man, it was made big old door slathered in blue plate mayonnaise. Got me some Lay's potato chips, sat down right by myself. And I ate that big old pork roast sandwich, ate my Lay's potato chips, but something was missing. And I am my father's son. When my daddy gets through eating, I don't care where he's at, when he, he's going to say this. What you got, sweet? I don't care where he's at. He's going to say, what you got, sweet? And I'm sitting there in my chair, got my study, got my notes out, working on Sunday school class and sermon for tonight and I was looking at all that and I was watching football game I think and, and, and I was eating and it's like what have we got sweet and I didn't want it I didn't want just knickknack I wanted something good and then I it was just like oh the angels sang heaven opened up and I remembered there was a piece about this big of this green cake with white icing. And I said, thank you, Lord Jesus, for Dean Cameron and Key Lime Cake. 
And nobody was there to stop me. And I didn't get it all. I, got, I didn't get but that much. And I sat down, took my time, made me a cup of coffee. Just, glory, glory. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. It, it was just, it was better that second time around. It, it was just sitting there enjoying the fullness of, of filling the flesh. But you know, about 9 o'clock I made me a big old bowl of popcorn. Had me a Diet Coke. And in just a little bit, I'm going to have me some lunch again today. You see, because the flesh cannot be satisfied. We must put self down, deny self, and follow the Lord. Now, I'm going to tell you, what I, I'll be honest. I enjoyed the first several bites a whole lot more than the last couple because all I could hear is, Becky telling me before she left, you know me and you got doctor's appointments next Friday. And at first I thought, well, they make a pill for that. Then I thought, well, but I don't have enough of them. And so I better do something. You see, there must be a desire for service. There must be a desire to put away the selfish things. Paul said, when I was a child, I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things and did adult things. There must be a desire for service. He said in verse 34, you come after me, let him desire, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I can't beg you into service. I can't guilt you into service. God's called you. You've got to want it. You've got to want it. You've got to be burning with that desire. And I sense that in our church right now. I really do. I came in the other day just to have one little meeting. And about six hours later, I went through about six phone calls, had about three or four meetings. And all of them about what God was doing in their life and speaking to them and using them in ministry. It's got to be a denial of self to have that desire. And if so, there must be a devotion to the Savior. You can't just desire it. Just hope your church is going to grow. Listen, Sunday school's up today. Great number. And I still look around. People outside of town, people who couldn't be here, people who are sick. It could be even higher. And you know, for a long time I said, you know, pastors like being a coach of a football team. You know, I, I went through a list last night of all the firings and retirings and man, it's, it's a vicious, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. That's a rough life, John. That is a rough life as a college or professional football coach. But you know, there's a part where it's not because you know, a, a football coach, and in some ways, you, you can only motivate them so far. But you know what? I can't motivate you to do anything. It's got to be of the Lord if it's going to work. You've got to have a desire. You've got to deny yourself. And then there's got to be a devotion that I can't make. I can't make my children. I can't make my wife. And sometimes, unless I'm surrendered, I can't even devote myself unless I say, God, overwhelm me and put me down that I may be everything you want me to be. You want to see our church grow? And I don't mean this ugly. Put your money where your mouth is. Step up. Sign up. 
Don't say, I'll help in any way. Okay, sign that list. It says, my name, I will help at night to shine. See, the problem is we'll say, oh, I can do it. But then three days before, if we find something else that we seem like it's more important, we, somebody invites us to go on a trip or something, we'll say, oh, this come up at the last minute. But if we put our name on that list, we know we're devoted to it. Just telling you the truth. Jesus is important to a lot of us, as long as there's not something else more important. There's not a travel ball team. There's not a vacation. There is nothing else in this world more important than being devoted to the Savior. Can you be devoted and be on a travel ball team? Absolutely. Can you be devoted to Jesus and take vacation? I sure hope so, because I hope to go on another vacation this summer. Yes, absolutely you can. So I'm not bashing that stuff. But when it becomes that Jesus is the lesser of all the rest, he's got to be first, foremost, and all time. Listen, are we listening to the instruction of the servant? Do we know why Jesus? Do we know who Jesus? Do we know the difference in Jesus and the enemy? Are we following Jesus like God wants it? If not, today's the day to start your year. By saying, God, I want to follow you. Wherever you lead, I'll follow. They come to the instruments. This is our challenge today, church. He said, this is our challenge. Will we follow Jesus? Will we listen and heed the instruction of the servant of God, the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ? Jesus is calling you to an altar of repentance You need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, even today. Come. Come take me by the hand and say, Pastor, I I need to be saved. You need to be baptized. It's time to put aside the the arguments that Satan has placed in your mind like he did with the others, saying, I can't get wet, I'm afraid to be baptized, I don't want to go under the water. Listen, I'm sure all of us have taken a bath, taken a shower, gone swimming. Put it behind you. And come and say, I want to tell the world outwardly what Jesus has done inwardly. Eastside is where you belong and you know you belong here. Show the Lord you mean business. Put Satan behind you and say, I am coming. I am a member of another church. God has drawn us here, moved us here for such a time as this. We want to be committed to serve our Lord Jesus at His church at Eastside. Whatever you need to do, Come right now, let's stand.